Once again, welcome to Harvest. We're so glad that you're here today. Merry Christmas to you. We are in our second Sunday of Advent uh, this year, and so really excited to be in the season together. Uh, I was just talking with one of our members before service, and we're talking about Christmas. And um, it, for for our family, at least, I think the last week or two has just felt like a nice, just like sigh of normalcy after a crazy year. Um, and so it's good to have Christmas traditions. It's good to be back in that uh, rhythm with you. So today we want to continue to worship the Lord through the study of his word. So grab your Bibles with me. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2 today. Luke chapter 2. Um, but we're actually going to have a secondary text today as well we're going to look at, and that's going to be Psalm 98. So you might want to kind of stick a, a piece of paper or uh, you know, your finger or something in Psalm 98 for later, and we'll get to that, but we're going to start in Luke 2 this morning. Um, and as we've been in, launching into this series for the year for Advent, uh, it's entitled Carols, and we just want to look at you know, some of these songs, some of these carols that we have been singing since we were little kids, year after year, Christmas songs, um, and we want to look at the lyrics of these songs and find the biblical, scriptural, theological basis for what we're singing. We here at Harvest, we believe songs matter. We believe lyrics matter, and what we say to the Lord and what we sing to Him uh, is important. So we need to know what we're singing and how we're saying it and what we're saying it about. And so we're using some, uh, using some carols this year to kind of look at God's Word in the Christmas story and learn from that. So with that in mind, today we want to look at one that's very familiar, I'm sure, to most of us, which is Joy to the World. Um, maybe one of the most well-known Christmas carols um, of all time. And uh, we're going to kind of dig into God's Word this morning and see where this comes from. So when I think about Christmas, and I'm sure maybe some of this is true for you as well, um, when we think about Christmas, we think about you know, this time of year, this season, where we get some extra time with our family. At least, hopefully that's still true <laughs> this year. Um, for some of us, it might be a little more difficult. But, um, but usually what we see in church, that means that when families in town from out, you know, in town from out of town somewhere, whatever they're visiting, sometimes you'll get new family members coming to church, right? Like you have people who are kind of visiting you and they come to church with you and so we're bringing new people to church. And I, I, saw, I saw this story uh, this week that I thought was interesting and humorous. It says, one Christmas, Grace brought her four-year-old granddaughter with her to church for Christmas. But this was her, this would be the four-year-old's first time attending big church, Okay. So she's going with grandma to big church. And so she comes in and she sat down and she quietly is just kind of taking in the whole service and everything that's going on and looking around. But like most four-year-olds, eventually the attention span starts to wane a little bit. And she started kind of, you know, drifting off into, you know, um, maybe imaginary land or whatever. Until finally the pastor got to his prayer. And the pastor bowed his head and he started to pray and he said, We thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. And all of a sudden, the little girl's eyes lit up, and an expression of joy covered her face. And she leans over to Grandma, and she goes, Granny, we're getting presents? <laughs> presents always seem to bring joy, don't they? Whether you're giving presents, whether you're getting presents, this is something that we find joy. Just yesterday, we got to take our, little, our girls out, and they got to buy presents for one another for Christmas. Um, and they love doing that. There's just something about gift giving that is a joyous thing. But as great as that is, and as much joy as we get from that, we know that that is temporary, right? It's just for a moment. And there's a so, there's a, there's a, there is such a greater joy that we can have, that we can live in, that we can walk in, and that's the joy that comes from Jesus Christ alone. And so that's what we want to look at today is the joy that comes through the Christmas story in Jesus. So here's your big idea for this morning. The presence of Jesus is the presence of joy. 
The presence of Jesus is the presence of joy. So if you lack joy, find Jesus. That's the solution this Advent season. If, if you find yourself in a maybe a joyless place right now, I want to encourage you today to press into Christ and experience his joy in a fresh and new way. And we're going to see how that happens here in the scripture for those in the story. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Let's pick it up right there. We're going to learn about the shepherds today. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was uh, with the angel a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. First thing I want you to see about joy this morning is this. God's joy came to earth in Jesus. God's joy came to earth in the birth of Jesus Christ. Christ, as we see here in the text. So let's start with the shepherds, right? Because they're kind of the, the first main characters of this part of the story. And so, you know, shepherds are kind of the average Joes of the Christmas story, right? They're kind of the average, just working with their hands out in the field, doing their thing, you know, the salt of the earth kind of guys. Um, and I, when we, it's, it's interesting, I read a survey this week that when people are surveyed about the Christmas story and they ask which part of the Christmas story they can most relate to, most people say the shepherds. So we think that they're just kind of like average, normal people like us, right? They're just, that's just like us in trying to, you know, relate to Jesus. And so, but if you do some historical research on shepherds during this time period, you find out that they actually, they were kind of average Joes, but they weren't thought of too highly. Um, they were actually kind of these guys who, they're always out in the fields with the sheep, so they were kind of unclean and unkept, and they were wandering through the fields, and they would kind of just take whatever they needed wherever they went, so they weren't always thought of as the most trustworthy type of people. And um, so, Shepherds didn't have a real good reputation. Um, the, one of the children's Bibles that we use with our girls calls them scruffy old riffraff um, is the term that they use for the shepherds. And so uh, that's kind of the, the group here that the angel is going to show up to. And it says, the angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And then later on, a multitude of angels is going to show up, all to talk to these scruffy old shepherds in the field. So why would God do that? Why would God send this message this way to these people? Well, the first and the most important reason is because God is a proud papa. <laughs> like his baby son was coming to earth and he wanted people to know about it. This was the joy of his heart that he was getting to send his son to earth for us and he wanted to share that joy with the people. So he pulls out all the stops to announce the birth of his own son by sending the angel, by sending a, a multitude, thousands and thousands of angels to sing and to announce to the shepherds Jesus' birth. God is sharing his great joy with the world. And the angels announce, they say, we bring you good news of great joy for all people. All people. Even dirty old rotten shepherds, right? I think it's really important that we remember that God sent Jesus not just for the 
the special, religious, elite, perfect kind of people. God sent his son for all people. God's joy is for all people. That's the message we're getting here with the angels coming to the shepherds. And they say to them, we have good news of great joy. And here's the good news, that born this day is Christ the Lord. The baby Jesus. The one who was coming to be the vessel of God's joy, flowing to earth, flowing to us, flowing to all the people. You know, we oftentimes tend to think about Christmas as this time of joy, right? Great joy and great cheer and, and just, you know, uplifted spirits. But I've come to learn the deeper I've gotten, especially in the ministry, that for some people, it's actually just the opposite of that. Um, for some, the holidays don't bring more joy. They bring more sorrow and pain and struggle. There's lots of reasons for this, sadness, for this depression, these Christmas blues, as some people call them. Sometimes it's just the stress of life, right? The financial stress of trying to pay for the holidays or the work stress of trying to finish up the year or just the social stress of having to interact in all these different you know, avenues around Christmas. Sometimes it's the unrealistic expectations that we might feel from family, Right? You're going you're to go and visit that family member again, and they're going to ask you about the thing, and you're going to be disappointing them again this year. And it's just this struggle of what our family wants from us that we can't provide or be or do. Sometimes it's just fatigue. We're just worn out. Man, it's the end of the year. <laughs> Christmas hustle and bustle, and you're running here and doing this and doing that, and you're just weighed down by just the tiredness of all of it. For some, it's grief. They've lost that loved one this year. We just had two different members of our church this week lose someone close to them. Actually, three. Sorry, I just remembered a third one. Sometimes it's just the, the idea of, like, that person's not going to be here on Christmas. And that's just, it's just hard, right? Sometimes it's just the social isolation that we feel when we can't be with certain people, especially in this year, in this season, there's all these different reasons that just kind of plague our soul of why we don't always feel the joy that we think we should feel at Christmas. And I think if you're in one of those places today, which I expect, I know some of you are, it's easy if we allow our minds to go there to start to think that this joy of Christmas, that's just not really for me. I, I don't really deserve that after what I did this year or I did to this person. I, I, I'll never live up to their expectations, so I might as well just forget the whole thing and forget that joy is ever going to be a part of this experience and this relationship. They're not coming back, right? They're gone. And I can't have joy if they're not here, so what's the point? It's just not in the cards for me. I'll never have their family. I'll never have their money. Joy is just not something that's available to me. It's just not on the table for my life. Some people get that. I don't get that. And if you're feeling any of that this morning, if you're feeling any of that in this season, 
I just want to assure you by God's word that joy is an option for you. That joy has come to earth for all people, for you, for me, regardless of what this world does, regardless of the circumstances you're walking through, regardless of the weight that you're carrying, joy can be a part of your experience. Because God sent his joy, his greatest joy, to earth in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. He sent it for all people, even shepherds, even you, even me. God's joy is for all people. The writer of Joy to the World starts the carol off like this. He says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. He is come to earth. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature, and heaven and nature sing. And this is the scene that we have here with the shepherds. Heaven coming down to earth to sing of the joy of God in the Son, Jesus Christ, as creation and as the shepherds and all the others respond to the joy that God has sent to them. God gives joy in the presence of Jesus. So if you're feeling like you don't have that this year, if you're feeling like the circumstances of life are controlling your joy, press in to Jesus more. Let him fill you with joy that this world can never offer. So that's the first thing I want you to see here in the story about joy. But let me show you something else. Look at verse 10 and 11 again there in chapter 2. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Point number two is this. God's joy comes to our hearts in Jesus. God's joy doesn't just come to earth in Jesus. It comes to us. It comes to us personally in our hearts as the Savior. Right here he calls him, he says that they bring you good news. Now, the Greek word there for good news in this passage is the same Greek word that we use all throughout the New Testament, not just for any good news, but for the good news of Jesus Christ. The angels aren't just announcing some random special event or thing that's going to make us happy for a few days. They're announcing the ultimate good news, that the Savior has been born. That Jesus came to save us from our sins, to give us eternal life with God. That's why he's called Christ the Lord. That's the greatest possible joy in life that you can ever experience. It's great to win the championship, right? It's, it's great to get married and have that beautiful wedding day. It's great to finally see your first child born and get to hold them. Or for grandparents to get to spend time and, and love on their grandkids. All these things are great joys in our life, and there's nothing wrong with that. God gives us those joyous events and praise his name. But all of that is nothing compared to the joy that we have 
in Jesus, our Savior. And that's what the angels are announcing here. Now, interestingly enough, when Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World, he actually wrote it not off anything in the Christmas story. He wrote it off of Psalm 98. So flip over with me now to Psalm 98. And let's take a look at his actual inspiration for this carol and the passage um, that he was, he was going off of as he wrote. Psalm 98 verse 1 says this, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, interesting thing about Psalm 98, if you do some research on this, you find out that this is considered a messianic psalm. So it's talking about this coming Messiah that's going to come. But it's a psalm really of prophecy. But you don't always get a lot of those in the Psalms, but this is one of those Psalms of prophecy, of things that are to come. And one of the things that's interesting about prophecy, especially in the Old Testament, as you look at it, is it's always talking about what's in the future, but it's not always exactly clear when in the future those things are going to happen. Right? Like it's not like there's not like these dates attached to each statement. It just says like some point in the future this stuff's going to happen. And when I was going through seminary, one of my professors really gave this illustration I thought was super helpful in thinking about how to approach prophecy in the Old Testament. He said, think about it like a mountain range, right? That when you first look at it and you're way off in the distance, we got, I got a picture for this one, go ahead and throw that up there. And you're way off in the distance and you're seeing all these different mountain peaks, it looks like all the peaks are like right there together, right? Like, like you could like reach out and touch the next one or jump from one, like it looks like they're all right next to each other. But as you get closer to the mountain range, go to the next picture, and you get to the first peak, you then see, oh, they're not all right here together. There's actually this one's here, and then the next one's a little further out, and the next one's a little bit further out, and there's some distance in between these peaks that you don't really see until you get up closer to them. Are you with me? Are you tracking? Prophecy works the same way. There are certain portions of it that are going to be closer, and there are certain portions of it that are going to be further away, and discerning which is which sometimes takes a while of us getting closer to parts of it to see that the other parts are still yet to come. Psalm 98 is like that. There are parts of it that were fulfilled closer at Jesus' first advent. There are other parts of it that won't be fulfilled until later at Jesus' second advent. But here in the psalm, they're kind of pressed together as if they're kind of one thing or at least close to one another. So with that in mind, let's look at some of the phrases here in Psalm 98. For it starts off and he says that God has revealed his righteousness to the nations. Now, that language is actually very similar to the language that we saw from Simeon last week when he said that, that uh, Jesus had come as a light to the Gentiles. You remember that? It talked about that he was going to be revealing God to the Gentiles, to those who didn't have God's word and had not grown up in the Israelite faith. So the same idea is here that in Jesus' first coming, 
It was God revealing his righteousness to the nations through the perfect and righteous life of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that he also remembered his faithfulness to Israel. We talked about that last week too. That when Jesus was born, this was fulfilling the promise that God had given to Abraham all those years before. That one of his offspring would one day be a blessing to the entire world. And that came, started through the birth of Jesus Christ. So there are parts of this psalm that are closer. For us, they're already in the past, but for the psalmist, they would have been closer to when they wrote. But then we get down to phrases like this. All the ends of the earth have seen his salvation. That one hasn't happened yet. When Jesus was born, when he walked the earth, he definitely didn't go to all the ends of the earth. Not all the nations saw him and experienced Jesus in his first coming. But there is coming a day when he will come again, and the Bible is very clear that every tribe and every nation and all the ends of the earth will see him. Revelation 1.7 says it like this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So there's portions of this that have already kind of happened to Jesus' first coming. There are portions that are going to be happening in his second coming. But the psalmist rolls it all together because in the end, it's all the same purpose. It's all the same reason. And it comes with this statement. The Lord has made known his salvation. That's the purpose of Jesus coming to earth. Both the first time and the second time is to make known the salvation of God the Father. And this is why I said last week, the gospel starts with Christmas. Like this is the, the anchor of all of it. This is, this is the, 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 the starting point of the whole thing. Because we are, as humans, because we have always been sinful and wicked and in rebellion against God, we needed a Savior. You and I, we can't make ourselves perfect. We can't make ourselves righteous. Once, once that gets ripped off, there's no repairing it. And our sin and our rebellion separates us from God, and it means that we deserve his wrath and judgment. We deserve an eternity separated from him in hell. But God, in his grace... In his love for us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born as a human, as a baby, in a manger, and then to grow up and to live a perfect and righteous life. To walk this earth in perfect obedience to God, something that no other human has ever done. Only to, at the end of that life, turn around and willingly sacrifice himself to pay for our sins. This is God's salvation come to earth. Jesus came to save us from our sins by giving his perfection to settle the debt. And he was killed on a cross and he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life to prove that he was God and to offer to us, all of us, Salvation, if we will turn from sin and put our faith in him. He'll wash us clean and put his perfect righteousness on us.
That's salvation. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. If Jesus hadn't died on the cross for our sins in our place, his birth would have only been special to Mary. It wouldn't have been special to us. He would have just been another Jewish guy that did his thing and went on. But because of the death, because of his resurrection, because of the gospel, Christmas is filled with joy of our salvation. And that's why the psalmist here, he responds. Look how he says, and he gets down to verse, was it verse 4? He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. This is the, in his mind, this is the automatic response to what we just heard. That God sent salvation for us, well then, joy. And he tells us, men and women, sing your songs, play your instruments, raise your praises. And then creation will respond, he says. The seas will roar, the rivers will clap their hands, the hills will sing for the Lord. When the presence of Jesus invades your life, when it invades your heart, joy overflows. It's the natural outcome of the presence of Jesus coming to us. So, I don't know if you've heard this or seen this on the internet or whatever, but there's been a lot of scuttle this Christmas season about who was going to get the rights to air the Charlie Brown peanut holiday specials. Has anybody else seen this, right? Like, there's been like this big thing, like everybody's fighting over who gets to, because they're like these classics everybody loves and everybody wants to have that on their thing. And so, well, at our house, the Christmas special is definitely number one, top, like that's the best one. Don't argue, it, it just is. Um, but what I'm interesting to me is that in this, um, you know, in all these movies, and if you know anything about the Peanuts series and stuff, Charlie Brown, as a character, is not known for his joy. Can we just agree on that? Like, he's always kind of like the ball humbug guy, like the, he's always downer and, and always grumbling about something. He's just, like, joy is not his thing. And in the Christmas special, he's really, really struggling with finding joy in Christmas, Right? Everything's going wrong, and he can't get anything right, and there's all these problems, and he just, he just can't get with the joy of Christmas. And he finally realizes he can't get the joy of Christmas because he doesn't actually know the meaning of Christmas. And then Linus, in his finest moment ever, steps up to deliver the meaning. Actually, you know what? Let's just, how about we just watch it? You want to just watch it? Let's just, let's just watch it here for just a minute. Go ahead and show us Linus. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior 
which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. So just in case, there you go. Just in case you miss it this year, you got your fix, okay? There you go. But, but Linus, Linus gets it, right? Did you, did you see him? Did you see his, as he goes up and he recites the scripture about Jesus being born, his confidence changes, his face starts lighting up with joy. For the first and only time ever, he drops the security blanket, right? Because he's so overcome with the joy of who Jesus is. This is what happens when you push your faith in Jesus as your Savior. Your heart is filled and overflows with the joy of Jesus Christ. Pastor Robert Rainey says it like this. He says, Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. When Jesus is present in your heart, living with you day in and day out, joy is the flag that waves over the top of our lives. And on those moments and on those days where that joy seems to be missing, we need to look back and see if maybe we've pushed the king out of residence for a moment and get him, his presence back in the center of our lives and the center of our heart. Again, the author of Joy to the World says it this way. He says, Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. Sing. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. When Jesus' presence fills my heart, God's joy floods my life. This is what the psalmist is talking about. This is, this is what he's leading us to. When the presence of Jesus floods or fills my heart, God's joy floods my life. So the God's joy came to earth in Jesus. He comes, it comes to our hearts in Jesus. And then there's one more thing I want you to see. Look again at Psalm 98. Look at verse 6. It says, With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Number three today is this. God's joy will come in fullness in Jesus. One day, still future, God's joy will come again to the earth in its fullness in the person of Jesus Christ. Right here it says, come and make a joyful noise before the King, before the Lord, and notice Lord there in verse 6, all caps. All right, we've talked about this before. 
Anytime you see the Lord in all caps, especially in the Old Testament, that stands for the proper name, the, the official name of God, Yahweh. So when he's talking about the Lord here, he's not talking about Jesus the Lord. He's talking about God the Father as the Lord, as the King, as the one who is reigning over all earth and over everything for all time. He is the one who will judge with righteousness and equity. But we learn as we go throughout the rest of the Bible that the way he's going to judge is he's going to do it through the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, the Son, is going to come at his second coming, not as a baby, but as a conquering king, to come and bring the judgment of God the Father to earth. Now, interesting that the author of the psalm put this at the end of a psalm that's all about what? Joy. Because usually when we think about the coming judgment with Jesus Christ, we don't think about that as a joyous event, right? That's not usually the top of my list when I'm like listing the joyful moments that I'm looking forward to in the future. Like that's not the way we think about it. Because for those who are lost, for those who have still not put their faith in Jesus Christ and follow him, that's going to be a really, really bad day. And it's going to be a very sad day for many of us who love those who have not yet put their faith in him. But here's the catch. That really bad day of judgment is actually going to be a really, really good day for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. For us, it's going to be a day of joy and celebration because we will finally get to see the fulfillment and the fruit of the faith that we have lived in for all this time come to fruition whenever God comes down and says, you're guilty, and you say, yes, I am, and Jesus says, don't worry, I got you covered. On that day when Jesus' righteousness is our testimony before God's judgment, we will be rejoicing more than ever before because we have been saved in a very real way from the sin and the brokenness of our lives and our world. This is the God of truth and grace. In truth, he will judge every sin and every person that has turned against him. And then in his grace, he will lovingly pardon and save those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. True love will flood the world in saving those who follow Christ. And we will experience unspeakable joy. Joy like we have never seen or even fathomed before. Isaiah 55 touches on this as well in verse 12. It says this, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign, and shall not, that shall not be cut off. 
Isaiah is talking to us again about this future coming of Christ when there will be no more thorns, there will be no more briars, and I don't know what myrtles are, but I'm sure they're better than thorns, right? Like whatever, whatever plant that is, like that's got to be better than the other. And Isaiah is telling us here that there's coming a day when the curse that we have lived under and that this world has lived under for generation after generation after generation, that there is coming a day where that curse will be broken, where that curse will be lifted, and there will be no more thorns, there will be no more briars, there will only be the goodness of the Lord and the glory of his creation. And we will experience unhindered joy because sin will be no more. And then he goes on to say, and this shall not be cut off. This unhindered joy will become an unending joy as we get to experience the goodness of a God for all eternity, free from every entanglement that we had to deal with in this life. That's the joy that awaits us. That's the fullness of joy that Jesus will bring. Right now, the joy we get, even the joy in Christ, is just a small taste. It's just a small little foretaste of the great joy that is still to come. The shepherd's got a little foretaste, right? Go back to Luke chapter 2 with me for just a second. So they, they see the angels. The angels come. They tell them about Christ. And then they're like, well, let's go check it out, right? So they go into Bethlehem, and they search, and they find the baby in the manger, just like they were told. And then in verse 20, it says this. The shepherds returned, returned to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They go. They see the Messiah. They're in the presence of Jesus. And they leave, glorifying and praising God. They leave full of the joy of God, just like the angels had shown them hours before. Because they had been in the presence of Jesus. For you and I, right here in 2020, we can experience the same joy in the presence of Jesus right here, right now. It'll just be a taste, but we can have it. We can have that joy in Jesus, knowing that a greater joy is yet to come. Again, the author of the carol says it this way. He says, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as. Far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Wonders of of his love, wonders, wonders of his love. Joy will sustain me if I walk with him as I wait for him. 
you and I, we can have joy right here, right now in this life if we will walk with Jesus, if we will walk in his presence, if we will stay with him. And that will hold us over as an appetizer until the main dish, the fullness of joy actually gets here. The presence of Jesus is the presence of joy. If you lack joy, find Jesus. Another well-known pastor, R.A. Torrey, I found this quote. He said, there is more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days. He says, believe me, I've tried them both. I think we can all say that, can't we? We've tried them both. We've tried them both, and we know that the joy that the world gives, as great as it is sometimes, does not last. It does not sustain. It cannot hold us up. But the joy of Jesus can. This Christmas, stop letting the world's standards and the world's circumstances control your level of joy. Stay in the presence of Jesus. Press in more. Sit at his feet. Let let his spirit and his presence, let it just fill your heart and fill your life and you will be filled with unspeakable joy no matter what's going on around you. lack joy, find Jesus. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning once again. Lord, just so, so, so thankful that you shared your divine joy with us by sending your Son. And we pray and we cry out today, Lord, please forgive us. Forgive us when we seek joy in all the wrong places. Forgive us, Lord, when we settle for lesser joy in what the world has to offer. And forgive us, Lord, when we get mad at you because it fades away. But you never promised this world would fulfill us. You never promised that the joy of this place would be enough. So, Lord, help us. Help us this Christmas, Lord, to abide in the presence of Jesus and to experience his ultimate and unspeakable joy. Lord, that's what we need. That's what we want. Fill us today. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your joy. We pray all this in Christ's name.